0: Good morning, Grace Church. How you doing? Hey, I'm the warm-up act before we get to baptism, okay? So I'm going to take about 20 minutes, and we're going to continue in our series, Non-Negotiables. And uh, I just want to say thank you for being here today. And uh, if you're online with us, we are delighted that you are online. You are amazing. Thank you for being so faithful and, and, and serving Jesus in that way. And also for you on campus, we're glad to see your smiling faces, and, and we hope you enjoy the day. And so let me just jump right into it. We're going to talk about uh, a very important subject matter. And uh, I think it's very important. And uh, the subject matter is, is Jesus the only way to get to heaven? And the reason I even bring that up is because in a recent survey, 57% of American Christians, did you hear me say that? These aren't unbelievers. These are American Christians believe that Jesus is a way to get to heaven, but not the only way. 57% of people that consider themselves to be born again have not understood exactly what the Bible says. So I want to take a time together today and hopefully in an authentic, gentle, kind way show you what the Bible does say and uh, challenge you to be a courageous Christian. And so I, I believe that... Uh, that we live in interesting times. We live in, we live in a smorgasbord-type Christianity, a buffet-type Christianity. And uh, what I mean by that, Starbucks recently came out with an interesting stat at Starbucks. And who doesn't like Starbucks? Well, there's some of you don't. But, but the majority of the world likes Starbucks. And it, it doesn't have a neutral response. When I say Starbucks, you either say yuck or yay. One of those two things. There's not a lot of neutral when it comes to Starbucks. But they recently came out with uh, this stat, and they have 19,000 ways to make a cup of coffee. 19,000 ways to drink our, you know, for us to consume our addiction. And the reason I even bring that up is because I think that that's kind of the way that you and I approach our Christian faith, is that we have like 19,000 different ways, and I have my way, you have your way, and what I want to suggest to you, when it comes to Jesus, He defines for us in a non negotiable kind of way what it means to walk with Him and follow Him and to pick up my cross and, and serve Him. So that's what we're going to look at today. And uh, put your se- seatbelt on because I'm going to go quickly. So, first of all, I want to show you the claim of the Bible. In John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3, Jesus' favorite disciple writes the Gospel of John, and this is what he says, he who believes in him is not condemned. And everybody said amen to that, right? But that verse doesn't stop there. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So very clearly from Scripture here, John makes it very clear that either you're a saint or you ain't. And there's nowhere in between. You're either on the bus, Gus, or you're not, right? I mean, the people over 50 got that. That was a song in my generation, okay? Get on the bus, Gus, okay. All right, well, I won't sing it for you. But here's here's the deal. John declares that Jesus is the only way, and either you have him or you don't. And being a believer means that I possess him, and he possesses me, and it's not nebulous. It's not... It's, it's matter of fact. It's cut and dried. It's very clear in the Bible. Then we come to the claim of Jesus himself. What did Jesus say on this subject? Was he, was he just a good teacher? Was he a prophet? Was, who was Jesus and what did he say about himself? Well, in John chapter 14, this is what he says. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, underscore that word, words, those words, comes to the Father except through me. So no one gets to the Father, no one gets to God except through Jesus Christ. That was his understanding as the Son of God. That's his proclamation. And it, I'm gonna, just going to be honest with you, we're going to talk about this in just a few minutes. It seems a little narrow-minded, yet right? Yeah? It seems, I mean, from a casual approach to this, your friends outside of the faith believes it's very narrow-minded. They believe, how dare Jesus say, make that kind of a claim? And I'm going to suggest to you that the only way he could make that claim is that he, know that, knew that he would go to the cross, die for my sins, die for your sins, and then come out of the grave by his own power. That declared that he was God, and he had, he had that kind of authority to make that kind of claim. So a person can go to heaven without money. I'm so grateful for that, right? A person can go to heaven without honors without education, without friends, but you cannot go to heaven without Christ. That is so clear from the Bible. And what the church needs to do in an age of confusion is stop trying to be people pleasers and just tell people what the Bible says. Amen? That's very clear. I, it's clear to me that you and I are to step up to the plate. Today, our world is filled with people who are seeking some other way to God rather than Jesus and his precious name. But all such efforts are doomed to failure. Jesus, Jesus is not the church. Jesus is the only way that you can get to heaven. Now, there are some things in life that are, well, to be right, there's no, to to be honest, there's no second chances. There's some things in life that you only get one chance at. Do you agree with that? One of those is skydiving. You know, let's just be honest. I want to get if I, I, you know, I just watched a sermon on facing your fears. And there, a woman that you know that was teaching this particular sermon. Uh, basically, you know, she's done a, been on all sorts of news, you know, news casts, and, and she purports that you've got to face your fears. And so she did a hundred days of of facing her fears, and you know, she did things like jumping out of airplanes. And I'm just going to say, if I was going to face my fear. It wouldn't be that one. I would just find another one to face. I mean, (laughs) spiders, snakes, whatever. I'm not going to jump out of a perfectly good plane, uh, you know, just to face my fear. But if I was going to jump out of a plane, here's what I would know for sure is that I wouldn't go to the relativist skydiving school. I just wouldn't do that. I want to know that I'm going to have a happy landing. That's what I want to know for sure. If you walk through the door, if you go to the relativist skydiving skydiving school, and you walk through the door, and you start reading their literature, you know, before you know, you're know, you kind of nervous about it, so you pick up the, your literature like you do everywhere, right? When you're nervous, you pick up their literature and start reading it. If, they, if this is what you read, we respect everyone's desire to skydive. Uh, we don't believe in absolute rules here. That would make me a bit nervous. Just listen to your inner voice, respond honestly to your feelings, and have a memorable experience. We'll see you when you get on the ground. I would walk out if you're going to leave it up to me having a memorable experience and just follow my inner thoughts, I'm going to stay on the plane. That's my inner thought. I'm going to stay on the plane. I'm not jumping out if that's how you approach life. And you know what? When, you come, when it comes to your life in this world, listen to me very carefully. Don't miss this. You get one chance in this life to make it right. There's no second chance. So you better be certain if you're going to choose to reject Jesus that you have certainty about it, and that he is not the way, the truth, and the life, that he didn't, didn't resurrect from the dead, that he didn't die on a cross, that he didn't, that he didn't do any, say any of the things that he said. you got to be certain that you're right because you only get one chance at this thing called life. And then there's forever and ever and ever and ever you want to make sure that you're right. Here's the absolute truth from Scripture. There are absolute truths. We want to live in an age when people want to tell us there are no absolute truths. But there are. That's a lie. If you have been told that, you've been lied to. There are absolute truths not only in Scripture, but there are absolute truths in lives, in life. Acts chapter four, verse twelve says, Neither is salvation, neither is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5, this won't be on the screen, just listen to it. This is what it says, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So the Bible, from start to finish, makes it clear that there are some, there are some very clear truth that you and I have to respond to and my prayer is that you'll do that with, with honesty and authentic, authenticity and integrity. But reality, when you, th- when, you know, from, for your friend's sake, there are a lot of objections to what I just said. You know, there are, you know, when it seems to be, honestly, from a superficial look, when you look at it superficially, that sounds to be very narrow-minded to me. Doesn't it to you? Come on. Your friends believe it's narrow-minded. So let me just address for just a few minutes some of the objections that people bring up. Like, what about non-Christian devout people? I've known people in my life that are more devout than most Christians that I know. More sincere, more authentic. So what about them? Do they, are they going to go to hell when they die? And the answer to that question is God never made sincerity the test of faith. He made belief and faith a test. And what I put my faith in determines whether I get it or not. So what about that person who is devout, who is sincere in what he, what he or she believes? What about that person? Well, there's an amazing story in the book of Acts that kind of describes for us what God does to that devout person, what, how he responds to devotion, how he responds to sincerity. So in Acts chapter 8, there's a guy by the name of Philip and uh, he, he's one of the first deacons you know he's a great man of faith and he's down in Samaria and he is preaching this ama- i mean he's preaching to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people he's in a great place and God then sends an angel to him so I'm going to pick up the text and kind of read it to you it says now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza this is desert just in case Peter or Philip didn't understand, he said, I'm sending, you, I'm sending you to the Black Rock Desert here. From where you're at right now, preaching to lots of people, lots of people are coming to faith, and now God taps Philip on the shoulder and he says, I've got an assignment for you. So Philip rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen of Ethiop- of the Ethiopians, who had charge over all of her treasury. This is a really powerful man was on his way back from Jerusalem, back to Africa, to Ethiopia. And he's riding in a chariot. And he went to the most religious city in the world. He went seeking God in the most religious city of the world. He didn't find God in Jerusalem. And so he's headed back home, back to his place of of residence, You know, and he's this devout, powerful man, and he was sincerely seeking God, but he was sincerely lost and didn't didn't have a clue of what he was doing. So he opened up the sacred text of the Bible and he began to read out of Isaiah. And Philip, prompted by God, steps up into the chariot. And he says, This question Do you understand what you're reading? And the guy said, I don't have a clue. How can I unless somebody show me the way and somebody guide me? And so Philip took that text and he proclaimed Jesus to him. And that man that day got saved. So here, don't miss the story. Let's step back and look at the big picture story here. Because this is incredible. God takes Philip out of effective, powerful ministry. And he sends them to a desert. And he sends them to the desert for one reason. And that, that was because there was a devout, sincere person with all of his heart was seeking after God. And God revealed himself to that man. So here's my conclusion. I believe with all my heart when God, when God, when God sees someone who is devout, when God sees someone who is sincere that is actually seeking God. But the problem is, is that what sometimes we see on the outside isn't what's on the inside. And sometimes our worldview is so skewed that we don't see and understand really what devotion means, but God does. And God knows, God sees that heart, and God sends this man, Philip, to reach one person seeking him with honesty and authenticity and sincerity. That's the God that I serve. That's what God does. When devout people seek the truth, God reveals truth. And the more truth they respond to, the more truth that he gives, it is a very glorious thing. So that devout person, in the end, if they reject Jesus, they'll spend an eternity apart from Jesus, apart from God, out of their own choice, not because of God, God chose that for them. They chose. They chose. So here's another question. Isn't, isn't the Christian faith a bit intolerant? You know, you probably, you heard that. Maybe you're online and you're listening and you heard that. Isn't the Christian faith then a bit intolerant? And so, I mean, that's a fair question, right? Hello out there. I'm going to make you put your mask back on. No, just kidding. <laughs> just for the record, a lot of people have masks on. So, I just got myself in a lot of trouble, so let's just keep going. <laughs> so here we go. That's what happens when you're a pastor at Grace Church. That's what, those are the things that happen. So, We're talking about intolerance, but here's the reality. Tolerance has been redefined by our culture. So tolerance, in my opinion, isn't necessarily I have to agree with you. And tolerance in our culture, the way it works is if there's disagreement, all you have to do if you don't believe me, all you have to do is look at, look at, the newspaper, social media, television, and you see hatred everywhere, everywhere. Hatred reigns in the culture that you and I live because they've redefined tolerance. So all you have for me to be tolerant with you is that I now have to come into agreement with you. That's how it's been redefined. And that is not the case. I can love you and disagree with you. I can be committed to you. I can, I can, I can serve you and not agree with you. That's tolerance. That's how tolerance should be defined. But here's... Let me just give you some exam, examples of some things that I think are powerful. Major world religions are, by definition and teaching, mutually exclusive. Did you know that? They are mutually exclusive. That, you know, here, and here's why. They are, teaching, they are teaching what they consider to be the truth, but the truth doesn't agree with it, with, with itself. Let me give you an example. Reincarnation. There are some world religion, religions that teach reincarnation, that somehow, some way, that if you don't get it right this time, you get another chance. And so there's, that's a f- popular teaching in major world religions. And I'm just going to point something out. The Bible says, listen carefully, the Bible says there is one life, this is out of the book of Hebrews, one life, one death, one judgment. That's what the Bible says. There's not reincarnation. So these truths are not cohabitable. They they are polar opposites. They can't both be true at the same time. And it can't be, you you know, that's your truth and this is my truth. There is just truth. That's what I should be on the search for is just the truth. There is absolute moral truth. And I should be searching for that absolute moral truth on a regular basis. World religions can be divided into two camps. This is, this is so good. I'm, this is worth the price of admission. It is. So world religions can be, can be camped in two ways. Number one, there are those that teach, and this is the Hollywood version of Christianity. So here it is. We are all part of the problem, and we're all part of the solutions. How many times have you heard that? I mean, that sounds great. It preaches good. It produces a false sense of unity. It's just not true. Did you know that? It's just not true. Here's what the truth is. And this is the worldview that I hold. I agree that we're all part of the problem. I agree with that. That is absolutely true. But there's only one person who's the solution. That is Jesus Christ, my Savior. That's it. He's the solution. And the reason for that, the reason for that is how can broken people be the solution? I'm broken. You're broken. Everybody in this auditorium is broken. Everybody on camera is broken. Everybody is broken. So there can't be, it can't be, you and I are all part of the solution. The reality is, is there's one man who lived a perfect, sinless life, who went to the cross and died for my sins and went to the grave and rose again. And it's coming again. That's the one that's offering solution to this broken world. So, you know, I, I, you know when you see it on television, when you see it at concerts, I mean, you know, we're all part of the solution. You see it at fundraisers. You see it, you see it everywhere. I'm just simply saying it sounds great. But it's just not part of the absolute truth that I see within the Scripture that God has given to me. There's a great picture in the Old Testament, and I'm going to end with this great picture because, again, I'm just the the warm-up speaker for the baptisms, okay? So here we go. So there's a great story in the Old Testament that captures the idea of what I'm talking about here. And it's the story of Noah. You all probably have heard it, right? So God calls Noah and says, listen, Noah, I'm going to bring a flood upon the earth. It's going to rain. It's going to rain for days and days and days. And up until this point, it never rained on the earth. And so Noah's probably thinking, what's rain? You know, I I don't know. God says he's going to destroy the world by a flood. He's going to use rain to do it. So Noah just becomes obedient. And the Bible says in the New Testament that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We also know that it took Noah 120 years to build the the stinking ark. That's a long time. God gave him the dimensions, told him how to do it. And uh, as a preacher of righteousness, I can only imagine, you know, people are probably asking him going, hey, Noah, what you doing? Building a boat out in the desert. Can you imagine how people would respond to him? You're building a boat out in the desert. Why? Why are you building a boat out in the desert, Noah? Because it's going to rain. What's that? What's that? And so as a preacher of righteousness, I can, I can imagine that Noah gave them an invitation to come into the ark. And Noah finished the building of the boat. And all of a sudden, You know, brings the animals on. You know, who knows what Noah said? But the door of the ark shut, and everybody left on the outside drowned in the flood. And the reason God did that is because of the evilness continually of man. God did a restart. And, I, and that is a perfect picture of what I'm talking about. There was only one way on that ark. There's one door. You had to go through the door. You had, to go up, you had to go up the ramp and get in the boat. That's the way it is in the Christian life. It is there's only one way to salvation. And I'm telling you, what some people are thinking is somehow, some way, I'm the exception. You know, here's what's interesting. I find this funny. Noah never built pegs on the outside of the boat so people could hold on. (laughs) I just got to weather this storm and I'm going to be okay. There's one way to salvation. Noah's ark becomes a word picture. It becomes a type. It becomes a type of salvation as we approach it in the New Testament. We see that that's what the New Testament says about it. It's a type of our salvation. There is one door. Jesus is the door. I've got to go through that door. And, you know, the truth is, is that's a very unpopular thing to say. Do you all get that? When you say, hey, you've got to believe on Jesus. He's the only way. Your friends and neighbors are going to give you the same kind of ridicule that Noah received in his day. And so you know what you need? You know what you need more than anything else? As a believer and a follower of Jesus, you need the dang courage to stand up and speak the truth. That's what you need. You need the courage in your life to speak truth into people's lives because of who, you know, God has appointed us to that task. And if we don't do it, who's, He's not going to send angels. He doesn't have plan B. Plan A is the only plan that Jesus has. And you and I are plan A. And plan A means that you and I proclaim the majesty and the beauty and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God gives an offer that when you receive it is amazing. But I have to have the courage in my life to stand up because nine out of ten people. I just made that stat up. Just nine out of ten people will reject what you have to say. But that one... That's who I go after. It's that one. That one. That one. But I've got to have the courage to speak to all ten. Because I don't know who that one is. And neither do you. So God, grant us this amazing courage that we might stand up like Noah stood up in his day. That we might stand up in these last days on our planet and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And proclaim that there is neither salvation in any other. There's no other name among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only deliverance. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you've been in the past. But I'm just telling you what we need more than anything else is the courage to believe that and proclaim it in Jesus' name.